0: Good to see everyone today. It is, it feels like maybe it might actually be spring. I don't know. I hope getting close, it's right. getting close. It's beautiful, but you know, It's only March 13th. Well, I only have just a couple of announcements for you. The first is, um, hopefully you have it on your calendars, that next week we are off because of spring break. So historically we take off when Williamson County takes off for spring break. And just by way of reminder, since we're talking about that kind of policy, if it's bad weather, we follow Franklin Special School District. But, for school closures, like at Christmas and spring break, we follow Williamson county. so there's that hopefully that's we can keep that rhythm the same, and we'll eventually when by the time Jesus gets back, we'll have it locked in so if you come next week, I think you'll find more folks on thirty a from our church <laughs> than in the sanctuary, and then we'll resume, and we'll have four more times. Can you believe it we'll have we'll have i think Uh, the 27th of March, and then three weeks in April. So, yeah, so there's a lot happening at the end of Romans, and that's what we'll be. And then we always conclude, the week after we conclude uh, is the silent auction, which will be, um, it's an all skate, and it's so much fun, and so hopefully everybody will plan to do that. The next thing I want to tell you, the most exciting thing, is that David Cassidy has published his first book, and it releases, (laughs) of all days, April 1st. It's not a prank. It's real. There are actual. you can buy the book, and there will be pages, so it's no prank. He worked really hard for a real book that's coming out April 1st. It's called Indispensable, and I have had the privilege of reading, and it's going to be. It's glorious. It's the basics of the Christian faith, and it's laid out chapters by categories that are just essential to understand. So it's great for those who, I mean, there's, it's a meal for anyone, any walk of life. I I see a great application for those who are being introduced to the Christian faith because they're getting it straight from the start. So I really encourage you guys to pre-order and let's help the preacher. Help the preacher. Help the preacher. So I want to I want to pray uh, for that and for our morning, and we'll get started. Father, what joy, what joy to be able to um, talk about a book that's already done after the planning, the writing, the praying, the the marvels along the way of ways and things that you decided you wanted to have communicated. And it's exciting, and I pray for a major blessing. On the world through this book, Lord, it's your story, your gospel, and what a privilege it is to even, you know, just be any tiny part of spreading the news of your word. And I pray um, for this morning, I pray again that as we come to the conclusion of Romans in this last portion of our study, that you would continue to have your way continue to teach us and inspire us and give us ears and eyes to see and for those of us who are seasoned and have studied a long long time show us new things and for those of us who are fresh and new to your word show us things that we need for today Um, we love you and we thank you i pray for david and for the teaching of your word Um, be with him bless him inspire him in christ's name we pray amen amen
1: this is the book I got, I, yeah, I got a few, um, advanced copies for the, to give to the folks who helped on all the editing. And so, Diana, this one's yours. Yay! And, uh, so it says, for Diana, with thanks for your friendship and fellowship in the gospel. There you go. Ah, that's awesome. You are my indispensable friend. Bless Thank you. you <laughs> it's Please. a, it's a Nashville, c- there you go. There you go. It's a Nashville centric book. It's got a forward by Scotty Smith, an endorsement from Nancy Guthrie, Scott Sauls, and Ray Ortland so it's uh it's like you know it 's got everything but the grand old Opry in it, <laughs> but it does have... Well, huh no there's no hot chicken stains on the pages but uh it does have some good does have some good uh music quotes in it though which uh you had to chase down and so all that was fine anyway so uh yeah 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 it's not too uh not too early to pre order so there you go um let's turn over to Romans fourteen and this morning, uh, we're in your study guide on, let me make sure I'm in the right spot here, I believe page 32, that's right, page 32. So uh, this section, which goes through chapter um, uh, 15, uh, really ties together the whole issue of welcome and hospitality and community that is rooted in the gospel so again these people being one in Christ so if we pick this up in verse 13 we've spent a lot of time on the weak and the strong and how we welcome uh, each other and serve not ourselves but one another we turn now to a little bit more detailed look on how that how that looks day to day and I think what would be helpful is if we just read 14, verse 13, down through, I'm going to say, maybe verse 6. Yeah, let's go through chapter 15, verse 6. Let's just read it. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. If because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean. But they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who... Are without strength, and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. And now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you just, when you read those words out loud, you just want to say amen, because that's a great benediction, isn't it, right there at the end. So notice, if you start there right at the end, how there is a tremendous emphasis on unity. The same mind he speaks of in uh, verse five and then one accord and one voice in verse six. So again, you can understand where Paul is coming from. He's looking at this deep diversity within the Roman, uh, the, the congregation of Christians in Rome and he's looking at their divisions. Their diversity has led to division. And the division isn't simply ethnic or religious it's attitudinal there's an attitude of superiority that many are having towards others so he wants to subvert that and remind them that they're one in Christ Jesus and that they're as followers of Jesus they are not seeking their own but the good of their neighbor the good of the person who they are in Christian fellowship with verse 19 just to note that real quickly in passing so then, this is chapter fourteen, verse nineteen. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Uh, I, I think that should should be like a social media policy right there. People should like, you know, make a sticker out of that verse and put it on top of their their um, blogs, and it might um, might uh, shift the way they communicate. But of course, we have to have that. Attitude in all of our communication with each other. And that's why Paul says we are to walk in love. So in verses 13 through 19, there are a few nevers that he places in front of us. Do not pass judgment. Don't put a stumbling block in front of others. Don't create hindrances for others. Now all of this, of course, is in the context of the strong, and we've spent quite a bit of time on who the strong are using their liberty as a means of condemning those who they regard as weak, of keeping them at arm's length in reference to community and fellowship. And so what Paul is clearly saying here is that this is rooted in an attitude of judgmentalism. Verse 13, let us not judge one another anymore. Now let's talk about judgment in the church for just a second. We need to hold this verse in tension with 1 Corinthians 5. So I want you to come over to 1 Corinthians 5 with me for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about judgment in a very different kind of way, but it's in a very different kind of context. So in um, 1 Corinthians 5, let's look at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead in order that the one who has done this deed might be removed from your midst. I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already what? Judged. I've judged him. Okay. Who has so committed this. As though I were present in the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. A verse which is not in anybody's refrigerator that I've ever seen. All right. So here Paul talks about judging. And you would think, well, now, wait a minute. He says here judgment is is good. But over in Romans, he says that judgment is bad. Well, what is he really after? Well, for instance, let's even qualify it a little bit further. Look down at verse 9 of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world Or with the covetous and the swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. Okay. So, so when Paul says don't associate with evil people, is he saying don't have anything, don't have any non-Christian friends? Don't be in a business with people who aren't Christians. Is that what he's saying? You know, he's he's not saying that at all. He doesn't want that at all. Actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he should be an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a violer or a drunkard or a swindler, don't even eat with such a one. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Those who are outside, God judges. Okay, so, so let's, let's just recalibrate, okay? First of all, typically the church is really good at pronouncing judgment on people outside the church. The church loves to play moral policeman in the culture. And why is it that Christians are so shocked that when people who aren't Christians act like people that aren't Christians? Why is this so shocking? Why is this so alarming? You go, okay, well, that's what that is. And what's your attitude towards those who are not Christians? Judgment? No, no. God judges those who are not in the church. Okay, inside the church, you do have Judgment? The judgment that Paul's talking about, however, is in reference to sin, all right, in reference to sin, which is unrepented of. So unrepented sin finds judgment, but judgment that is not simply uh, everybody's attitude, but is actual forensic legal judgment, making a distinction. This person, this person is not living for Christ anymore. And so Paul says, you have to remove him. Now, who has the power to remove? Can any of us as individuals just look at somebody else and go, right, you're out? Well, no, you can't do that. And I just want to make a point about that because The the judgment that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 5 is the kind of judgment, the removal of a person from community that is done by the governing body of the believers. That's why he says, I am with you. It has to be apostolic government. It's not just anybody doing it. So he says in verse 4 of chapter 5, In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and in other words, it's the meeting of the entire church, and I with you in spirit. So this is apostolic governmental action of the entire church. It's not one person saying you're out. It's not that kind of judgment. It's a kind of judgment which is ecclesiastical. That's what, that's what the word assembled is, ecclesia. And it is authoritative. It's governmental. It's apostolic. So it's not the action of a single individual. It's not talking about a negative attitude. It's talking about dealing legally and officially with a person who refuses to forsake their sin. And it's rank sin. It's not, it's not sin which is uh, minor. It's the kind of sin which causes scandal to the name of Christ, right? Right? The kind of immorality, Paul says, that would even shock and shame the Gentiles in Corinth. Which, can I just say, you, that's, a, that's a high bar. If you want to shock Corinthians with immorality, you're going to have to go a long way to do it. And Paul says that's what's going on in your church and you're not dealing with it properly. Okay, So that kind of judgment is Correct. That is not a judgment which belongs to private individuals. It's a judgment that belongs to the courts of the church. So back in Romans now, what's he talking about when it comes to judgment? He's talking about an internal attitude that each of us as individuals can have but shouldn't have towards brothers and sisters in regard to matters which are not central. So you look at someone and you go, I don't like their practice on this, X, fill in the blank, whatever it is. I don't like the way they do that. I think if they were a real Christian, they would do this. And so that kind of judgmental attitude, which establishes the basis of fellowship on peripheral matters rather than central matters, is what Paul says is unacceptable to us as believers. And what it results in is us putting hindrances and obstacles in front of people. If you're a true Christian, you would do this. If you're a true Christian, you would never do that. You would never eat this. You would never drink this. You would never touch that. All of that kind of approach, which we've dealt with over the last couple of weeks, we understand what he's talking about here. These are the kinds of approaches to interpersonal community that create divisions and distractions. This is the kind of unhelpful approach in the life of a congregation, which make it toxic. So what Paul's appealing to is a walk of love because the character of the kingdom does not come down on these matters which are peripheral. The problem, one of the problems in Rome, is that they were taking peripheral matters and making them central. And this is always our sinful tendency, to take those matters which are peripheral and make them central. Now, this happens in a lot of different ways. And if we sat down and talked about it, we could probably name several. I mean, I'll just make a couple suggestions to you. I read an article yesterday by a pastor who said, if you are, and I'm paraphrasing now, a really mature Christian, you would never, ever sing songs that were written by Hillsong. Okay. Now, has Hillsong done some dumb songs? Yeah, probably. But I can name some dumb hymns that were written over the last couple hundred years, okay? All right, so it, it, (laughs) and I'd quote some to you, but you'd probably like them, and then I would offend you, and I am not that silly, okay? So so when, again, you're taking a peripheral matter, like if you're a true, you know, and he's, of course, he's getting it, amen, brother, that's right, absolutely, you're You're speaking my language now. Now what is this kind of, what is this kind of thing doing? Well what it's doing is it's creating division. It's creating boundaries of fellowship which exist around peripheral matters. Well if you're a true Christian, you only use music that is from the 13th century right if you're real you know if you're a true christian and i've seen it go the other way if you're a true christian if you're really with it then you not only speak in tongues you sing in tongues and you sing one song repeatedly over and over and over again until you reach a point of nirvana and faint out on the floor then you're a real christian okay so i've seen it go both directions so what i'm saying now now by the way is it is it wrong to sing the same thing over and over and over again no it's annoying Okay that's 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 okay but but actually when you go <laughs> when you look in the book of revelation it says the angels never cease to sing what over and over again holy 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 is the lord of hosts i mean so actually i think you can make a case for some kind of constant repetition actually now, I don't know if the angels float off into nirvana and get slain in the spirit. I have no idea. And have a Benny Hinn moment. I don't know. I have no idea. No, they don't. Okay, that's a different issue. But you see, my point is we have to be very careful not to take issues which are on the peripheral, which are matters of personal preference, and make them the boundary markers, the central issues of how we have fellowship with other people. Somebody says, well, I think this is the right. English version. I prefer the, you know, the NIV, the nearly infallible version, okay, which, okay, okay, or uh, the NAS or the King James. I'm a King James only kind of guy. Well, thou art mistaken, but okay. But uh that, you know, I mean, whatever. So when people start taking peripheral matters and make them the touchstone of with whom they can have fellowship, they are in violation of the principle here. All right, where's our, where's our real fellowship? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about what's going into you. It's about what's established in you already. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the life of the gospel for a believer is righteousness, which, of course, we've talked quite a bit about here in Romans, the gift of righteousness. And the peace and the joy that come because of the gift of righteousness Therefore, Paul says, having been justified by faith in Christ through his death on the cross, we have peace with God. So is the righteousness of the Gentile different than the righteousness of the Jew? And of course, what's the answer to that? No, that's what Paul's established. So they have the same gift of righteousness. They can have the same peace with God. They can have the same joy in Christ. This is the stuff that matters keep central what is central that is where our fellowship exists it's around the gospel those are the essentials and all of that is through the power of the holy spirit so the christian life is marked by the pursuit of peace at the expense of i've put a word in here adiaphora now how many of you are familiar with that term have you heard that word before adiaphora what's adiaphora well adiaphora is a term that refers to those matters which are not essential the non-essentials. They are matters, to be sure, which uh, could have a certain degree of importance. Here's a matter of, of, of potential importance, but it's its not a determiner of fellowship. Where does the Apostles' Creed go in the liturgy? And some of you are going, uh, do we do the Apostles' Creed? Okay, so, so... All right, if you have a creed, where does it go? Well, I think it should go um, right after the confession of sin. I think it should go after the sermon. I think it should go right before the communion table. All right, I could make cases for saying a creed at any number of different places in a liturgy. Um, That would be, but if somebody came and said, now, there's only one way to do that, and I can't have fellowship with you unless you put the creed in the right spot. right, we're not really worshiping Jesus unless you got the creed in the right spot, pastor. I'm going to just look at them and go, whoa, you, you need to find a new church. I need to help you. Here's a gas card. Let me, um, let me pay for your trip. Um, because, <laughs> because, because you're, you're confusing what is essential with what is peripheral. All right. So the, these are matters which, to be sure, have a certain degree of importance, but you cannot attach to them the weight that you attach to the truly central matters. So don't build your church on Adiaphora. There are whole churches built on Adiaphora because that is how they establish what they would call a market niche. We're the church of this. See, nobody else really has this emphasis. We're this emphasis. And so they take a matter which isn't central and they make it central in order to attract people that want that central thing. We're all about this. You could do that with healing. You could do that with music. You could do that with preaching. All of these things are important things. But, you know, do you preach sermon How long is a sermon supposed to be, by the way? That tree? There you go, right? Alright, uh, 30 minutes, right? Make them laugh, make them cry, and 15 minutes say goodbye. Um, Unless it's at a funeral, right? If, if it's at a funeral, you know I was told, you know, this is what you're told: talk about the Lord, talk about the deceased, talk about ten minutes. That's about that's how you do that, all right. So, you know, how long's a sermon at a wedding? How long's a sermon on Sunday, etc. Well, 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 it needs, uh, you know, I mean, when I was in Austin, I preached eighteen minutes. I got to do twenty-five here. I thought I'd, the millennium had broken out, you know. And uh, but there are plenty of pastors who think if you don't preach for forty-five, fifty minutes, you're really robbing people. Well. Is that is it an important matter? Well, yeah, it's important. It's important. But do you really want to be the church that says we're the church that preaches fifty minutes? We have a hymn prayer sandwich, and we we're the church that measures on the word of God. We don't give we don't give those little homilies. We don't do sermonettes that produce Christianettes. You know, all that, I've I've heard all that kind of stuff over the years, you know, that kind of thing, you know, oh no, of course not, you're the church that preaches for 50 minutes so everybody gets a good nap, I get it. But, okay, so all of this kind of attitudinal stuff about matters which are important but not central cannot be how we define our existence and they cannot be issues which take hold of our attitudes and give us an air of superiority to others. That has to be managed from our soul. We have to pursue the things that make for peace. So, he says, uh, verse 18, He who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Let us pursue the things that make for peace and building up one another. Don't tear down the work of God What's the, the work of God is people for the sake of food, the peripheral. Don't tear down people. Build up people. All right, that's how we want to approach that. Okay, this is important for us to understand then, and just as, as an aside Paul makes here, about the nature of creation itself. He says in verse 14 of Romans 14, I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So let me ask you, is wine unclean? No, it's not. It's not unclean. It's not. It's not. Now, are there people in the Bible who God said, you can't have any wine? Okay, that's, there were. Okay, there were Nazarenes. Right? The Nazarite vow. No, no alcohol could touch their lips. Okay. Alright. Is it because the wine was unclean? No, it's not. It's because they were, you know, they also couldn't cut their hair. Are haircuts unclean? Ask the bald guy. Okay. So. <laughs> Alright. So the issue isn't, is, and this is, this is an ancient view of the world. It's associated with words like Manichaeism and Gnosticism, in which the material world is unclean, and the immaterial world, the spiritual world, that's holy. But the material world is unclean. So your flesh is unclean and the chair is unclean and whatever else. Certain foods are unclean, that kind of thing. Well, no, Jesus has made very clear. It's not what goes into the person that defiles someone. It's what comes out of what? It's what comes out of their heart. That really defiles that's where the real uncleanness lies is not in the creation but in our souls so don't fall into the trap of thinking that some substance is unclean and this happens a lot in um christian uh uh sex s e c t s where you have uh groups that say well, well we're we're this kind of christian so we only eat these kinds of foods there's a group i can't remember what the name of it is it's some weird thing where Um, they got a big building up on, um, near Concord Road, uh, on Franklin Road. Uh, Way down, it started as a way down thing. Huh? Yeah, okay, so uh, they've made the whole kingdom about eating and drinking. It's all about food. And if you just, you can be in our church if you eat the right foods, and these are the right foods, and this is the wrong foods, and if you have the right weight, and all that kind of stuff. That that kind of thing you see is is total legalism, and it's an absolute violation of everything that Paul is saying here. So where you regard things as unclean, you know, so so listen, when you see substances, you don't look at the created order and say that is unclean. The uncleanness is in the human soul, and that is dealt with by Jesus and his blood. Okay, so what's the fruit of such living? Well, you will be acceptable to God and man because you're looking to build people up.